This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Swansea has more McDonald's and clean sheets this season, so don't forget your Muck Nuggets are closer than you think with Muck Delivery. The only thing left to say is, you in? Order now in the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via the app are participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for further details. Hello and welcome back to another Swanscast podcast. Not match previews, can say match preview, but podcast this time. I've done one for, I think it was two weeks. Uh, I've been gallivanting off to France and Ulias as well. That's why he's absent again, because he's on his travels once more, going to Italy this time. Uh, nice for some. But Ben is with me this week, so welcome back, Ben. I know you're here for the last one. Oh, thank you. So I think last time we spoke and last time we put a podcast out, because it's been over a week, was um, on the back of the defeat against Cardiff. So it's been, we did that a bit late, but it's been some time. But much has happened since. It's been four games that we haven't touched on. We we got it out just before QPR, so we were kind of talking about what could be there. And I think a draw. So we've got a draw to talk about there. And then three back-to-back wins where we've actually scored eight goals as well. So plenty to talk about. Finally, a little bit more positivity. A win to talk about, well, three. And um, maybe some actual evidence of a game plan a style all that sort of stuff and we'll touch on it all today as well in in bits and bobs i'm sure not quite the finished article but that's fine we know it's a work in progress and maybe we're actually seeing some of that now so i think that's uh it's important to have that conversation based on the negativity and maybe like atmosphere that was around the place after cardiff i think it's important to address some of it's been acknowledged, and I think Michael Duff has thrown himself in to do a good job that a lot of people perhaps weren't expecting him to be able to change around. But we'll get to all of that, I'm sure, in the upcoming hour or so. Okay, so um, where to start then, Ben? I guess we'll, we'll go back to a couple of weeks ago. We did lose to Cardiff, that's what we spoke about. QPR was our first point after that, maybe bad form that we showed uh, especially after the Bristol and Cardiff games we went away to QPR it looked like we might have been getting a 1-0 win but it ended up being a one 0 draw and a late red card as well and as much as I think that the game that game specifically started quite well it looked like we were hanging on by the end I think a lot of fans were, were commenting on as well on Twitter what did you make of that game and maybe what that has done going forward because for me and I'll discuss my opinions on it in a second but I saw that as a big turning point even though it wasn't the result we 
wanted at the time? Uh, well, I think the game after for me was probably the turning point. I think we'll probably have different opinions on QPR. I mean, it's weird, really, the last time I was on the podcast, the mood was extremely low, very different yeah. now. I how quickly football changes like that. Yeah. Um, QPR, my view on the game was obviously you switch in formation. The first, I'd say, six, seven minutes, honestly, we looked good. We were actually playing through the thirds, moving it about a bit quicker, got the goal after a bright start. I think from then, I sort of posted on Twitter just saying we defended the lead for 90 minutes. That's, that, that was my opinion on the game. I think the first 10-minute spell, that was a good glimpse into what we wanted to potentially be this season. Didn't see it out. and that, We sort of just waited in for QPR to equalise, even if they weren't uh, creating a lot as such. And, you know, it's like a good bit of quality. It was a hell of a header. Uh, from yeah, the, it was. For me, I think the turning point was Sheffield Wednesday, personally. Because I, I think... You know, Michael Duff went over to the away end after QPR still didn't get a very good reception from what I could see. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, even uh, when we won the game there, there was still a couple of boos. None of that recently against Norwich, mind you. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know if, if I really like the QPR performance, but I guess you're changing shape. It's not going to yeah. happen tonight, does it? No. I, I don't disagree with you in regards to maybe, you know, the turning point. I think, you know, it's it's more than just one game. I'll explain where I'm coming from when I say, and I think, because a lot of people I think have your opinion where they weren't impressed with QPR, and I'm not saying it was an impressive performance by any stretch. I don't think it was. But after the Cardiff game specifically, you know, the discourse that came from it, the performance, the way that it was approached, everything around that, a lot of negativity. For me, starting the game at QPR in the way we did was a massive positive, as much as it only lasted 10, 15 minutes or so. And just stopping the losses, I think, is an underrated aspect of what came from that. It was it was way from home as well. So again, a point on the road. As much and we we nearly had, as much as we maybe were defending the lead for much of that game, and I say defending the lead, it wasn't like QPR were battering us. They weren't. They were creating an awful lot, but we weren't really doing anything either. It was kind of quite a poor game, really, on the, on the face of it. I just think it was so important to get something out of that game after the Cardiff result, you know. And that allowed the players maybe to get back on board with something if it had been rocked a little bit, maybe. Um, steady the ship, even that slight bit. And then when they've backed that up at home against Sheffield Wednesday, as much as people liked to say after that game, oh, well, Sheffield Wednesday, we should be beating them. like, And they've just wrote it off. And we'll talk about the games afterwards, which I think have shut that argument down. Um, I just think if they'd lost to QPR, I would have been more worried about the Sheffield game. Just getting that point, I think, was important to be a platform to build on. So that it, it changes it, doesn't it? So like that week, for example, then became four points out of six. Take the team names out of it. A point away, three points at home. That's good. Yeah. Um, Regardless of how you play, I think the performance wasn't so much important for QPR, but getting something was the priority. And as we've seen since, and it's easy to talk about it like this now because we're in the luxury position of having done a podcast since we've got four game sample to discuss. Um, but they have built on it. The performances have improved each time and they have used it as a platform to, to get better. And at the time, Lee's not here now, but he would tell you we were having a bit of an argument in our little WhatsApp group about the QPR game. He was saying exactly the same as what you were saying. And I was there like, look, okay, I, I do get what you're saying and I completely agree with it. But after the Cardiff result, I'll take this point as long as you can build on it. And 
Yaz. So easy to say, I told you so, I guess, but it was important for Michael Duff to show there was something coming out of what he was doing in training. And I think finally we've started to see it, whether the tweak information has played a big part, which I think it has. And we did discuss that in quite detail, actually, after after Cardiff, about the options we had for QPR and the midfield. And I know there was a bit of discussion about can Patino and Grimes actually work together? Um, and we've seen a bit of a mix of everything we were saying, really. So yeah. it's been good to see that it has had a positive impact. So I don't know what you think of uh, the change of formation specifically. Uh, well, change formation. Well, essentially, a remind um, everyone of Patino and Grimes because uh, on the last podcast, I basically said it won't work. And uh, <laughs> yeah. but what I would do want to point out I, as well. It's fair enough comment to make, though. Yeah. Like it was, it was fair enough comment. I need to jump to the Norwich game to sort of explain this. Sorry. Yeah, Millwall, that's fine. Millwall Go for didn't it. Watch. Um, but no, so we're at a four-back formation now for anyone who hasn't seen the last couple of games. It's more of a 4-2-3-1 when we're on the ball. Patino and Grimes, you could say, are the deeper midfielders in that system. Just ahead of him, then Patterson's playing in the number 10 role. And because of uh, Janelli's injury, looking at Jamal Lowe out on left wing, Liam Cullen probably acting as a bit of a right winger at the minute, and then Yates up top. Uh, but it's interesting now, we've you talk about how we actually have a plan and understanding of how we're trying to play. This is the first time I've been to a Swans game this season now, Norwich, where you can pick up patterns of play, you can pick up how we're trying to dispossess the opposition. So 4-2-3-1 on the ball. But if you want to notice when the Norwich back four had the ball or was a goal kick, you switch in shape a bit. So we switch to more like either a 4-3-3 or a 3-3-4. And I know 3-3-4 sounds weird, but just stay with me on it for a second. Yeah, yeah. So... That front four of Patterson, Lowe, Yates, Cullen, they were sort of trying to pin back their back four when the goalkeeper had the ball. It wasn't like tight man marking, but it was just a yard away. So if they were to receive the ball, the yeah. it would be really difficult for them to receive the yeah. ball. In the back it kind of felt like, let them take a pass, but as soon as that ball is kicked, I'm going to be on you. Yeah, exactly. But what we were doing was we didn't want to leave... Uh, Grimes and Patino to isolate it because the point I was making on the previous podcast is that even though they're brilliant technically the pair of them together they're not going to cover the ground we need to off the ball as a two-man midfield which is why I've always said like you know you probably need Felton with him or something but when we were actually looking to our you know just when we're off the ball and trying to stop them playing through our midfield into the final third, that front four, one of them, one of the wingers, whether it be Lowe or Cullen, <clears throat> would just drop him back a little bit to stay closer to Patino and Grimes than they were the front three. So if you picture Norwich's left back, I think his name was Janulis. Cullen on that side would obviously be pressing Janulis. Lowe on the other wing then, he would just drop back a couple of yards. So he would be closer to Grimes. When it moved over to the other side, you had Jack Stacey. You'd have low press and Jack Stacey. Cullen then on the other side would drop back. And that's when it was becoming yeah. more of a 4-3-3. And what I was doing then is it was, it was keeping um, Patino and Grimes. They, they didn't have to cover so much ground in that midfield. So yeah. when Norwich were then trying to play, they didn't have the gaps to play through the midfield. I thought that was really clever. It was also almost like a 3-3-4, as I said at times, which is weird. So if the front... Yeah, form, in like a goal kick situation where they'd be... Maybe yeah. man for man on the back four then. So they were man for man on the back four, but the thing is, you have to remember, Bashir Humphreys at left back. So what was happening was Key at right back was actually stepping up a bit closer to the midfield two to make it a midfield three. Because the issue we would have had, obviously, if we had the front four sort of pinning on the Norwich back line, the goalkeeper then could have just chipped in the midfield because there's no way Bettino and Grimes yeah. would have the whole width for the pitch. But Key just stepping up, 
you know, realistically, the back three, any long ball to the halfway line, one of them is going to pick up. So Key could do that. It did work against us at times because you look at um, how we exceeded the first goal. Key was just basically acting as a wing back at times still in the game when we were playing down that side and he did just gas out. Um, and Jonathan Rowe, obviously, he had pace to burn and Key, you could see he was trying to get back, but he just couldn't. So uh, there's pros and cons to what we're doing, but it's nice if we finally have an idea how we want to break down the opposition, how we want to win the ball back. <clears throat> yeah. I would uh, build on that point to say it's the first time I've really seen the signs of what we were promised from Barnsley fans from last season, you know, with the press, the the high press, high intensity press. Um, it's the first time I've really seen it properly done as a whole team effort where we've also then looked like it's actually going to do something for us, you know. And in the first half especially, or the first 20, 30 minutes, it was just causing so many issues for Norwich's uh, back line. I mean, our, our opening goal was a result of Jamal Lowe pressing, making a mistake, and obviously the ricochet from, from winning that ball back allowed Grimes to run it through the centre. He might have got tackled and might have been a bit fortunate the way the ball fell then for Jamalo to finish, but ultimately the opportunity came through winning the ball in the opposition half. And how many times did we concede a goal like that last year or just even early this season? Just the last couple of seasons in general, that's been one of our biggest weaknesses to sort of kind of do it to another team. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a nice thing to see. It's a nice change. Yeah. And and yeah, it's it's mad because you never saw any of that, those sort of signs. You go back to the Cardiff game again, like... There was nothing there in regards to that sort of press. Absolutely nothing. And that's what we were promised with Duff. And I know we were told it would take some time for it to get firing in a way that it's going to be effective. That's fine. But a lot of what people had issues with was the fact that you can't see a glimpse of any of it and any of the game plan. And now, what, three, four games later against Norwich, who were sixth in the league before we kicked off, they implemented that very well, considering it's one of the first times we've probably seen it in play as well. And you're right to mention it can go against us if if the teams play around it in certain ways. But it's still a work in progress, ultimately. You know, the formation wasn't the one he started with. He wanted to play five at the back, clearly. I know he's touched on in his press conference this week not to get too um, over, not overwhelmed, but too, like, don't think about the formation too much is kind of what he was saying. He was saying people get too caught up on formations, you know, at the end of the day. We want to play a certain way and we put the players in the place to do that. It doesn't matter if it's five at the back, four at the back, whatever. Which is fine if, if the team can be as flexible as that on the pitch and understand what they're doing and their roles, regardless of where they're set up. Ultimately, I think going back to what we said in last podcast as well, we're even shorter in the areas required to do four three three consistently than we were when we spoke about it last time. Now Janelli's also picked up a knock, and well, well we've got low. Is a season ender, isn't it? Yeah, <clears throat> that's yeah. Clarify what he's not going to play for the rest of the season. Unfortunately, that's devastating news. Let's be honest. Um, he looked like a really bright spark, and when it you know the results have started changing, he's been part of that really in terms of offering us a bit more attacking threat. It was a bit of a worry afterwards to see how we would cope with it, but obviously Callan going out on the wing is an option. I guess Patterson could do it as well if maybe Ollie Cooper worked his way into the team or Cooper would go there. Because um, I feel like his performances have slightly started improving, which is good to see. But all of a sudden, I think, generally, it just looks a lot more positive. And 
I think fans can start getting on board and I have seen a lot of people start getting on board because they can see the direction of where it's going. And as for the whole, the Swansea way, if you want to look at the stats against Norwich, we still had, not as not the level as we have had for the last two seasons, but 55% possession against a team like Norwich at home. It, it's still a positive in terms of, we're not a long ball direct team that people thought we might be becoming. That isn't the case. Uh, it's a bit more direct and the, the high press and looking for those sort of opportunities where we wouldn't have before. But when those opportunities are not there, we can still pass the ball around and look after it. And it is sometimes a little bit of a ball that's more direct through the lines than it would have been before. But yeah, I think we're probably all a bit guilty of overreacting a little bit on the back of the last couple of weeks. I think it's fair to say that. I mean, I don't know if we were. I mean, it depends who we're speaking about. So, I mean, some fans. I mean, <clears throat> a little bit guilty. I think there's a level. Some were a lot more guilty than others. I just think the emotion around back to back derby losses and especially the performance shown from them did really bring the mood down. Um, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is if it wasn't those two teams at that time, would the general negativity have been the same? Probably not. Probably not. But I also think, yeah. like, I, I wasn't calling for his head, but I said he's got three games. Well, he's had four. Yeah. Obviously, he he's saved his job for a while there now. But I think there were a lot of people who were quite level-headed who were all just saying that, that there's the Cardiff game, it was probably one of the worst performances. I no, I agree. I agree. It's also, i got to say, the change in shape to a back four, I I, I tend to disagree with uh, Michael Duff when he says, oh, the formation doesn't really uh, matter too much to me. And he isn't the only manager to say that. You know, Brendan Rodgers is another one who believes that uh, thoroughly. Probably it. He's just playing it down for the questions, I guess. I, maybe, but like, I, I've always sort of believed that formations do actually have a massive impact game to game. I mean, Graham Porter, when we had him here, he, he was changing shape regularly, but the difference was that his teams, he trained them to play each of those formations and he's doing it for a reason. It, 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 like you saw, say, our fullback, centre-back, centre-mid, we started having the triangles going when we were being pressed against Norwich and that was when one of their striker and an evil winger was pressing in that wide area because when the fullback receives the ball, he's close to the line that's a trigger then for a press because he has less space to play out from. The three versus two, that's a numerical advantage, right? So we're the favourites to play out from that situation. That's what formations provide you. If you outnumber the opposition in midfield three to two, that's an advantage. If you manipulate the ball a certain way to get your fullback overlap in 2v1 on their fullback with your winger, that's, an, that's a numerical advantage. So this yeah. change of shape, but what it's obviously done is Matt Grimes, he was still acting as if he was the centre-back dropping in, but we still had, th- we were playing three in the back. You had four players who just weren't venturing forward at all. You weren't seeing Darling or Wood making those runs forward they did last year under Russell Martin. So that back four now, that's freed up Grimes, I think, for whatever reason, to suddenly get into midfield as well. You have that extra body higher up the pitch because you've taken one defender out, or one centre-back out, I should say, because Key's still getting forward. You saw Virginia Humphreys is still getting forward. It's just as simple as we now have more options in front of us when Grimes and Co have got the ball deep in the, uh, in our half or on the halfway line. Yeah. So for me, I couldn't really disagree more when I'm hearing other formation changes and what's caused this. This this is the trigger that's yeah. caused some change in uh, change in style of play for me. 
I wouldn't be surprised if Duff's just kind of trying to manage the media based on his past. Uh, he hasn't had the best record, has he, with the media since he's been here. No. And minimising the tricky questions and, look, don't go in detail on what I'm doing on the pitch. Right? I'm just getting it working and shut up sort of thing. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of that uh, going on. And I'm wondering if what he actually is means is, like, you're going to tell me I'm playing a 4-3-3. But as you alluded to earlier, it wasn't always a 4-3-3. It changed based on, on on the ball, off the ball, you know, yeah. when to press and all that. So in his what he's trying to get to the team is, you know, it's not as rigid as what they're going to put down on BBC Sports, Sofa Score, on paper. Oh yeah, you know? and they um, got that wrong as well. They they got uh, yeah. three four three one four two when I checked. Yeah, I've got it here on Sofa Score. I was like, that's definitely not what happened. But I think Callum played centre. Yeah, exactly. So I'm wondering if that's kind of what he's uh, getting at is like. Maybe, yeah. You know, don't 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 read into it too much. Like, as long as they know what we're doing on the pitch, no matter what you put on the paper. Yeah. If that's what's working, um, but yeah, you're right in what you're saying, and you've um, you mentioned Mac Rhymes. I think that's a good place to start with the personnel from the last couple of weeks, because for me, I think I might have said it on the last pod that. He's not getting a tune out of Mac Rhymes. He was underperforming. And it's no coincidence, if you like, and I tweeted something along the lines of this earlier. There's no coincidence that when Mac Rhymes is poor, Swansea have been poor. And I would say Mac Rhymes had a really poor start to the season. Not necessarily out of him personally being bad, just not quite working, not quite fitting. Couldn't really get him in the game, get him doing what he does best, you know. And all of a sudden, I know he came out and apologised after the Cardiff game for the on behalf of the team and took that on the chin as captain, which was, you know, it is, you never want to see it, but it's nice to see. It is nice to see him doing that. Um, he's come on, off the back of that and you could say pulled the team out of the doldrums, taking it by the scruff of the neck, and he has started really performing quite well, actually, I think, in the last few games. Whether it is part partially because of what you just said with the formation and it's freeing him up and allowing him to do more things, having more people in front of him, giving him them options to play them, more direct passes, stuff once from him, which maybe he was shying away from, which is what was causing the issues before. If he didn't have the people there to look for, in his head he's like, well, I'm not going to go for it because it's too risky. Could have been contributing to the issues. Now he's got more players to aim for, so was someone free. And, and he got on the score sheet, didn't he, against uh, Millwall? And he also, was it Millwall or Sheffield he scored against? Millwall. Yeah, Millwall. And, you know, if Lowe didn't score that goal against Norwich, he was going to be taking the shot. So he could easily have got on the score sheet again. But when do you ever see Macrams bursting into the box with the ball? Yeah. So something's changed. Um, it's weird to say, isn't it? But like losing a game like the Cardiff game in the long run, is that has it become a good thing? Or the back of th- you never want to lose two rivals, right? I want to put a big disclaimer here before anyone comes for my throat hearing what I'm saying right now. But if we had gone and got a draw to that game, would we have had the same response? Is what I'm trying to say, as what we've had in the last four games compared to you know the way we lost it. There had to be a response. You said Duff's got three games to save his job. I think we both agreed with that. I think we said like QPR and Sheffield Wednesday. If he loses both of them, it's going to be serious questions asked. You know. That was a massive week. 
Yeah, I think Sheffield Wednesday especially because yeah. I think everyone sort of saw firsthand how bad they are. Zisco Munoz has gone now. They've had the worst start to a championship <laughs> season in history, I believe. Maybe joint yeah. worst or worst. But yeah, I mean, they, they, uh, they've they got a whole lot more problems than we have. So I wasn't expecting 3-0 from that game is what I will say. I was, I was expecting like a scrappy 1-0 to us offset piece. I wasn't expecting us to lose though. Like, like, yeah. Even in the state we were... I, I don't understand how they've gone so bad so quickly as well. It's just because of the. It's literally because of the situation over the summer. I think the club is in a bit of a mess. More yeah. than, it's 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 not just the team's not good. I don't think the team isn't good enough. I thought they would have a decent season if Darren Moore had stayed, and they continued the progress they made that got them here in the first place. I think they would be doing. I'm not saying they'd be flying, but I think they had a chance of staying up. And I think just that the drama around that situation. The club's in a bit of a mess, you know, and they're not in a good place because of all of that, what's going on behind the scenes. And I think that is definitely coming out on the pitch and affecting their results. What I will say as well is they would play in very much a philosophy of playing out from the, the, the back with goal kicks. That Their defenders were stumbling over the ball. They, they, they have no right with the personnel they have there quality-wise to be trying to play yeah. the way they do. And I think they probably realise that now because uh, Munez has gone so quick. I, I think they're going to go down still just because their squad is so weak. I mean, they're, they're clearly still really reliant on Barry Bannon as well. And he's, what, like 36? He is their main so. man. Yeah, and you, you see, like, if, if he isn't pulling the strings, if he haven't got runners for Barry Bannon, then, you know, I, I don't know what they, they're, they're really going for other than set pieces, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. i got a bit of sympathy for them in a situation there, and we'll see if they can pull it around. But for us playing them, yeah, we had to win that game. And yeah. But the thing is, right, as much as we had to win that game, it frustrated me a little bit that, a lot of the, you know, what was said afterwards with the fan base, and I know it's a lot of them are the vocal ones, and not everyone has that that uh, opinion of it. You can only beat what's in front of you at the end of the day. So if it's a three nil win, it's a three nil win. Yeah, it's against the team that was bottom of the league, but you got to start somewhere. We were desperate for a win, so just, just the way it was getting knocked back, like it's only Sheffield Wednesday, like well it should happen. Well, do you know what? At the time we were on the same points as them, so. Yeah, I was the was to say it should happen at that at that stage. You know, we we had to earn that win, and maybe for some periods of the game it didn't look as comfortable as it ended up being. But sometimes you just need something like that to to boost the team. We needed that to boost the team. We needed it, and and it, it did boost the team. And then we backed it up with a three 0 Millwall. And again, apparently that was well, it's only Millwall. They're not going to be up there at the end of the season. Yeah, and well, Millwall had the best defense in the league before that game, and we put three past yeah. them. Like, celebrate what we're doing well because he's had such a torrid time at the start of the season. You've got to give him credit then when he's done something. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Can't make the away day? Just get yourself comfortable, load up Swan's TV, grab your phone and order a delivery. Away days at home never tasted so good. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. 
Our participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Right. Now, Millwall 3 0, I'll go down as one of the results of the season, especially away from home. Sheffield Wednesday, admittedly, I sort of, not that I wrote it off. I, I was happy we won, but I, I, I needed to see us perform like we did against Millwall and Norwich before I started, like, going, okay, looks like we've actually built it something. Simply because Sheffield Wednesday, they, they did hand it to us, if we're being completely honest. They did have a lot of bright moments, probably more bright moments than we should have been allowing a team like them to have. And, you know, football's a weird game sometimes, but, like, they're hitting the bar at 1-0, so it could have quite easily been one all five yeah. minutes later with 3-0 up. It, it, it was a strange game in that respect, the fact that, you know, in such a short space of time, if they'd equalised, they would have had the chorus of booze going around the place, keep in mind, because it was the game after QPR where we let a lead slip against a bad team. This would have been letting a lead slip against an even worse team. But yeah, you do just need some things to go for you sometimes. I think they did for Sheffield Wednesday because right yeah. off the back of the 3-0 win, you finally got your first win. You can calm down a bit, confidence a bit up, but mainly the pressure's off. You're going away to Millwall, you're not exactly expected to win, but you've got a bit of confidence that you can do something now and the fans will get you know behind you a bit more. And yeah, obviously, it's hard for me to comment on that game. It was away, so I didn't uh, I didn't get to see it, but it just sounds like a very professional performance. Maybe 3 nil is a bit flattering, mind you, but... Uh, no, I mean, you, you, you can't complain at all, can you? No, I think uh, to clarify what I said, maybe Millwall had the second best after Leicester defence. Oh. Um, but Leicester don't count, let's be honest. They've already won the league. <laughs> they're either one, they're either first or second. They, they, oh. Well, they've won nine and lost one game in ten. Then another league, uh, Ipswich. We'll, we'll talk about the league later, but um, yeah, Leicester, let's just forget about them. Um yeah, I'm quite quite impressed with his with his turnaround, and I didn't. I was like you. I was never calling for his head. I was saying, look, serious questions. If that week went sour, and yeah, after Cardiff, obviously there were certain questions that needed to be addressed. I was mostly disappointed to see the lack of progress on the pitch and the style, same as a lot of people. But I did also acknowledge we have we did not all of the start of the season was as bad as what we saw at Cardiff. You know the the press. Preston game, I think it was yeah the Preston away, and the Birmingham home games to two of the standout examples. And you could argue the West Brom game, even though we went three 0 down, you know we made a good effort to come back. You'd expect the early stage of the season to be a little bit more rocky, but what I'm trying to say is I saw more from those games than I saw in the Bristol and Cardiff game. So it was weird to see the negative trajectory, if you like. Um, before it got better again. But yeah, the way we started the season against Birmingham, who had quite a good start of the season themselves, it was weird to see that it didn't continue. So I think what I'm trying to get at here is the confidence aspect, I think, did maybe play a big part. And getting that 3-0 win at, at Sheffield or against Sheffield Wednesday, it's crazy to see how much and how quick that could have changed in the, the mentality of the players, which is why they can go and follow it up with a mill again, a win against Millwall and a win against Norwich. Strong teams. One, I don't know if maybe we would have got those results had we not beaten Sheffield Wednesday, because the confidence, you know. Yeah. So it's just a massive factor in football that I think sometimes we forget about, and ultimately it is a results game, so you've got to be judged on that. But I guess when you're trying to get into a new system as a new manager with a new team, a lot of new players. Yeah, maybe the confidence is a lot bigger factor than anyone give it credit for at the time. 
yeah, it was the same last season. I think we've had a big squad turnover, but people do forget Russell Martins uh, went on a run of three wins in 22 games. All three of those wins coming against teams that had a red card. So that was a, you know probably one of the worst runs we've had in the last decade or so, looking back. Um, but even though the squad got weakened, all of a sudden there were seven wins and two draws from the last nine. That was just confidence. You get the win against Cardiff and then it propelled that squad yeah. on for the rest of the season. Um, and what I will say is a good time to be confident because, you know, next three games, Plymouth away, Leicester home, Watford home. Watford's all right, but uh, Plymouth are a much harder team to play away from home. They they just uh, stuck six past Norwich a couple of weeks ago for reference and Leicester, obviously. It is their only win in five, though. I, I, I just worry. I, I don't know. I've got a bad feeling for the Plymouth game. I I, I don't believe I hope all. not. I'm actually going go to the Plymouth game. So I've got a bit of a long drive tomorrow ahead of me. We caught recording this Friday evening before the Plymouth game. Um, I hope they do well, but Morgan Whitaker and Luke Cundall. Yeah, we'll get on to Whitaker now just because uh, I think that was one of my better uh, predictions, one of my better set of statements when he moved on to Plymouth. I came on the pod and basically said things along the lines of 10 goals, 10 assists. I said 1 million, you know, he's probably 5 million by the end of the season. He's probably 5 million about now, the way he started, honestly. Um Stuck yeah. at stuck Patrick past Norwich. I don't know his exact stats. I'm assuming I'm pretty sure it's about. I think five he's on goals, five goals, something like that already, which is silly. I will, I will, I will tell you in a second. Um, Duff spoke about Whitaker though, didn't he? In his press conference yesterday, he said basically, or today, I think it was. He he basically told him on his first day that he wants to leave. Uh, so he had like a team meeting. And Whitaker kind of stayed behind, followed him into the office or whatever, and was like, look, nothing to do with you, but I want to leave. Um, I think his mind was already made up from the dramas that happened last season. And you can't blame the player. And ultimately, I guess, if he doesn't want to be at the club, do you force him to stay? You're not going to get that. We didn't get the best out of him anyway when he came back because he didn't want to come back and he didn't get into the team. So... Is he ever going to reach that five million value when he's hardly playing, or does he end up going for free down the line? So it's one of them where you're never going to really know what would have happened. But the player didn't want to be here. I think he felt messed about by the club quite a lot, Which he was. and it's a shame he was. And yeah, I can't blame him at all. It's a shame because maybe Duff could have got a tune out of him, you know. But he's already made his mind up before the new manager comes in. Uh, I. I don't necessarily think he was... Um, people say he didn't get the chance he deserved to. Before he went out on loan, when he did score hat-trick actually against Plymouth before, didn't he? I don't necessarily think the decision-making at that point was awful. I think the way it was handled when he was recalled was where the issue is. And part of the issue was Russell Martin throwing his toys out the pram, not getting a replacement for Oberfemi. The club obviously saw Whitaker coming back from loan as the replacement. And I feel like Martin didn't use him partly as bitterness of not getting what he wanted. He, he didn't also want that. No, he's not. No, he is a winger. And I... But he could have utilised him. Doesn't mean he couldn't have utilised him, you know, especially in that run of what you just said. Was it three wins in 22 games or whatever it was? Yeah, and he did, he did have a couple of sub-appearances and goals off the bench. That, but you've got to keep I think he mind. scored once, didn't he? Yeah, he's... Uh... Russell Martin had a system of wing-backs and he would have got caught out defensively there, Whitaker. He wasn't the striker. He's still not a striker now, but doesn't mean he's not, you know, uh, contributing goals and assists. The, the problem I had, he had two years in his deal, so fair enough. 
he wanted to leave. I don't blame him in the slightest for leaving. We had a couple of times um, in recent years, Dan James, similar. We've messed players around. We're, we're, we're not a good club for it at all. We're not. But if you've got two years on his deal, then you've got to look at it as, right, right, okay, fair enough, you want to leave, but you've got a contract. I, I couldn't imagine his wages were massive just because Plymouth, I think, have the lowest wage bill in the league. So if they're paying his wages now, then you, you know what I mean? Um but then also, I think there's probably a lack of intelligence, a lack of thought process from the recruitment team here, even though we're trying to plan long-term, and I get that. We recruited so heavily for that three-at-the-back formation with the wing-backs, with two strikers, and now we're playing four-at-the-back with wingers, and Whittaker's going to be one of the better wingers in the league, and we let him go for, was it just below a million or 800k rising to a million, something like yeah. that. It's, it's no wonder that yet, yeah, they're not willing to give him such a long-term deal, because they know we t- I said at the time, the Plymouth have had our pants down. They have. Like, I really do hope there's a big sell on in there. I'm talking 20-something percent because he's the sort of player I see him go it, getting sold on next year. I know he loves it there. If an offer comes along to double his wages and go to a team that fight in the top six, he'll probably go, won't he? Yeah. He probably deserve that move the way he's playing. I do think now he's at home away Swans away fans coming up. But he's got a point to prove. Lots of Swans fans are, you know, have a go with him for throwing his toys out of the pram and uh, you know, he went we went from Starboy coming back from loan to very quickly like, you know, looked like he wasn't trying. He was trying. He was in a system that didn't suit him though and he was getting bit part appearances. So any criticism towards him needs to be deflected right back at the club because yeah, I, I, just, don't, yeah, he, I don't think he did he a wasn't handled well. He wasn't handled well. He, and yeah you can say well tough you still got to be professional but ultimately I don't know I, I I think there's a lot of parties that should have done better you could say the player should have done better but so should the club but so should the manager and you know it's not just him if you're going to say he's guilty then you have to also credit the other aspects of who's guilty um, like I said like you know you've got to earn your chance and I don't necessarily think before he went on loan like I didn't question the decision it's when he come back, we didn't handle it the best. I wonder if he, we had left him on loan there for the season, whether he would have come back in the summer and handled, oh, you've had a good year on loan, now we want to integrate you into the first team, whether that would have been a different conversation, you know? He would have been happier, wouldn't he? Yeah, or if, or if the damage was done for him going on loan, because he went, didn't he? He went on loan, and who stayed? Cullen? Uh, the first for- half of the season? Yeah, I mean, the year before they both went on loan to Lincoln, didn't they? Yeah, like Kyle Joseph stayed that year. Yeah, and the and year after Callan stayed and uh, Morgan went to go went on loan to Plymouth and I think he had nine goals. Was it something, was it stupid? Something stupid, like nine goals, 13 assists in half Something like that. Yeah, it, something, something like that. He's got four goals this year, by the way, not five. I uh, didn't check the assists. Uh, Luke Kendall's got three goals, so the seven between them. Yeah, I mean, we saw at the end of last season, Luke Kendall started putting in some brilliant uh, performances and locking like he was more of a threat in the final third. So, yeah, I, I, I think he could well have a good, could well have a good game against us as well. I mean, I, I, it was a weird one because I, f- I felt like he may have wanted to come back. I think he indicated he wanted to come back, didn't he? Um, I think he was just one of them that was dead in the water when Russell Martin left. Yeah, there's probably, there's probably too many, even if they're not all fit, there may just be too many midfielders at the club for that move to happen. Yeah. But saying that, we were going, <laughs> this is the thing with the recruitment again, we would go in for midfielders on the last day. But yeah, but he obviously. would have been playing 10, though, wouldn't he, rather than midfield? Well, for Plymouth plays... right now, you mean? 
No, he does play. He plays more as a forward midfielder. So, like in our system currently, I'm saying maybe he comes off off the bench for someone like Patterson or. Oh right, or oh, Lowe, or, uh, um, yeah. I mean, he isn't going to come in ahead of Grimes and Patino. So, I mean, he was he was more of an eight last season, wasn't he? Like, uh, him I think he's he's being used. Say Whitaker's playing behind the striker, and they're playing two of them there. He's kind of the other one. If if he starts, he doesn't always start. Yeah, he didn't start against Millwall. Just surprising, to be fair. I'm I'm not going to pretend to be like experts on you know a lot of Plymouth squad because I haven't been. In no, that's fine. Long, I was but... catching up with one yet last night for the pre-match video, so that's up if anyone wants to go catch that uh, from Argyle Life. I think it was is the podcast, and basically Schumacher loves to do a lot of rotation with that sort of position, and they were saying they call it. Uh, Schumacher roulette or something where they just he does a random change all the time because that, that's what he likes to do to keep it fresh so you will just see the team sheet come out and somebody you just thinks nailed on is not starting it's also so never know maybe, maybe you'll do the well, tombola this week now and Whitaker will be on the bench it is also smart to rotate that around but also what I will say is he hasn't started the last three games weirdly Handle it. I assume he'd be a starter for Plymouth but uh, they've obviously you know Azaz Abbey would have been they've obviously got a lot of uh, talent in there yeah yeah okay um, that's a little bit about Plymouth I was just maybe talk about some of the injuries that we suffered we already mentioned Josh Janelli and he's going to be off for the rest of the season with uh, ACL I think it's Achilles. Achilles? Yeah. Very, very much a big shame. Yeah, I mean, especially now that we're playing this system, I think come January, there'll probably only be one position we're targeting. It will be winger or wingers. It depends. Uh, you know, we should have a decent budget. I think we probably held a little bit back. We would, we would They've said this money to spend yeah. in January. Yeah. Um, whether that'll be a loan that we're looking at or, you know, it's a weird one. Do you want to hand like a three, four year uh, contract to someone who's a winger just simply because it could be back to all three of the back again and then they're not playing? You see what I mean? I guess they need to make that decision, see how the first half of the season goes up to January and commit to something, really. Because the issue I've got now as well, like I'm normally always against loans, but it could be the right time for a loan. Just like if you look at the bench, say now... Any of you know low or you know, even Yates and Cullen are like drifting out wide a lot. You had Cameron Congreve on the bench. You could actually have an opening this season now, just because wide players wise there is nobody else there. You're, you're looking to potentially put in Josh Key further forward as a winger, and then having Ashby come back in a right back, who we've sort of forgotten about. Um, but yeah, apart, apart from that, you got Kuharevich, who's got his first goal. But obviously, he's, he, he ain't ever touching the wing because he's a very much a target man. Timon. You sort of saw when he tried coming on in the back four against Norwich, he isn't a defensive left-back, as uh, I think we sort of knew. I wasn't that impressed with him, I'll be honest, when he came on against Norwich. He's not a full-back, as he is. He's definitely a wing-back. And I feel like the Stoke fans did say this quite clearly. The reason he's leaving Stoke is we play with a back four and he just can't play in a back four. And we're seeing that. And this is, again, what I'm talking about. He spent £2.5 on Timon, you know, one year in his deal, quite clearly because we're recruiting for that back three, back five, whatever you want to call it. And already now it looks like he's going to have a long spell out of the team because there's, there isn't really a realistic way of getting him in. You've got knocked to Pedersen at the minute, but one, against Sheffield Wednesday, I thought he was unbelievable. I honestly didn't... I know it was a, you know easy opposition. Literally didn't put a foot wrong. It, it was it was a, a complete like nine out of ten, maybe nine and a half out of ten performance from Pedersen. 
So he, he, he could well be, for me, playing left back with Humphreys just inside at the minute. It depends how bad the injury to Cabango is. Hopefully that's just a knock. Nathan Woods out for three months, so all of a sudden it's, you're like... It's some sort back. of hamstring. They just don't know if it's just cramp or worse yet. Right. For well, Cabango. For Cabango, yeah. It's, it's a weird one now because I, I think Pedersen has to start when he's fit. I think he's deserved a little run. Even against Cardiff, I know he made an odd mistake here and there, but I thought he's a lot more short on the ball it's, than what I expected. It's a difficult game to come in first game. I yeah. thought he had a he had a decent game against Cardiff, other than the mistakes. Yeah, which well. is you know the mistakes <laughs> were quite costly. But well, I say mistakes. The penalty giveaway didn't he? It was uh, Timon that didn't close down Tanner's first goal. Yeah, but <laughs> I I just feel calm when Pedersen has the ball. Always you know. Defending a one v one, I wouldn't expect it from him at all. I thought, I, you know, everyone sort of made out like he was going to be a calamity and have errors and uh, just be a bit all over the place. But no, he just looks assured. Looks decent enough business because we got him for next to nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's good options to have there, really, isn't it? And Humphreys obviously got his first goal against Norwich too, so it's good that those guys are coming good. Now we are picking up some injuries in that area. Um, Wood, obviously, you mentioned three months. I just should have sold him. I personally think for that fee. I'm not saying he's a bad player. He obviously had that wobble against Bristol. Yeah. But I just think that money we were silly to turn it down. I've got to disagree just because it's the structure of the deal and it's the sale on that barrow have. So everyone was seeing the ten million figure. We rejected three bids and they were all worth ten million. That's because Southampton first came in with five million, with five million in potential add-ons, which for anyone who doesn't know that means add-ons that are based on performances. There's no guarantee that we ever see that money. Then it was six million with four potential and seven million with three potential. I did read they were all the same bid, basically, just in a different order. Yeah. So Barra have a 30, I want to say it's 35% sell-on clause. So if you say the, the highest bid we rejected, seven rising to 10, for me, when you're looking at bids like that, unless it's something silly like he needs to play 20 games, it was probably a heavily promotion-based add-ons, which doesn't look like Southampton are doing this season because they're in a mess. So if you say a seven mil, 35% of that then goes to Barra. So quick maths, what you're looking at, about two and a half million, yeah. roughly, something like that. So four and a half million pounds. If we want, we were having bids for uh, what's the centre back we Peter Drug called? We we're having a five million bid rejected for him. You, you know what I mean? Like you're not replacing him, I guess. Yeah, no, that's fair. I'll take all credit. I didn't realise the structure when you break it down the way you've just broke it down there. I'll eat my words a bit and maybe yeah, that's a fair point. Um, Still would have been a good profit. Still would have been a good profit. Don't get me wrong. So he only spent, I think it was five hundred thousand, rising to a million for him the year before, maybe be less than that. Yeah. But England, the twenty-one international, and you're, you're, yeah, we're seeing four and a half million. You, you can't knock the club for the way that they've uh, knocked that back. I think we all moan enough about them not doing that sort of thing in the past, and it's nice to see them holding their backbone with a player. Yeah. Um, I was just basing on what we've seen from one year of him being here. 10 million if that's what it was is when I would have I wouldn't have had an issue with it I guess but when you break the structure down like that you know maybe we'll get more in in the future we'll see and we can only tell words for the people who said what I've said but no that's fair I take on board what you said there and that's a good um good bit of information so the other injury was Joe Allen who three months I think as well yeah, tough tough one now isn't it I just start against Cardiff I was there controversial play. Yeah. yeah controversial but 
it's easy to say in hindsight as well. I just think it's been a bit of a waste of money signing. I think I said this the other day, actually, when we were on last time. I mean, it, I'm not going to lie. Look, I, I love Joe Allen. I love him being here. I just, as a player, we're just, he's just never there. Like, if you're trying to build him into the team, he's good. He, he's a luxury player at this point. He's yeah. a luxury player. I'm not going to blame anyone who had a hand in recruiting him just because he played 40 games with Stoke the year before. It is just, everyone yeah. hits that point in their career where all right, their body starts not being able to do the same things, not recovering as quickly, fatiguing and getting injured easier. Maybe a sign was how he retired from Wales as he signed for us. He probably knew in, in himself. I haven't got much left in me. It was only a two-year deal, thankfully. But yeah, I mean, I, it's getting to the point yeah. he's injured so much now. I'd, I'd be maybe it's like a Nathan Dyer situation. He'll have offers, no doubt, when his contract expires. I doubt we'll give him a new good deal. He, he could well just call it a day. He's got nothing else to prove. He's yeah, all the money. Played devil's advocate, I think. You brought him back here, and maybe he'll, he will go into retire and have some sort of role. I think it seems maybe he's already going down that route. I think Duff's spoken about even though he's injured now, he's going to have a heavy involvement in the dressing room. It sounds like he is being a bit of a middleman for Duff, the coaching team and the players, because he's acting like a coach to the players whilst also being a player. So maybe getting through some of the messages a bit more, some of the emphasis of like, we're not doing good enough. From what I was reading and from what I've heard, it sounds like maybe a bit of a heavy involvement in Maybe even our opportunity to inform having someone like that. Look, guys, this is not good enough. We need to sort this out. Let's all group together and crack on. Helping the manager get his message through to the players at a player level, and that could be an important role for Duff in his first year. You know, and if and if we can then utilize Alan if he calls it a day, I think he'd be valuable. I think he's come here for a reason. At the end of his career, he wanted to come back home. Yeah. So I think you're right, you know, maybe he'll do a Trundle or Britain and go and play for some local teams in the area whilst also doing a role back of house. Yeah. That's interesting, we're talking about the senior players for a sec, and I don't normally like delving into rumours because you, you, you don't know if it's just complete rubbish, mm. you. but um, I saw a couple of people say recently that there was some sort of senior players like meeting with Duff, like you, you're probably assuming Grimes, Bolton, Allen, Norton, that that sort of group basically just like had a meeting with him just yeah. to say, look, the playing style needs to change or this is just going to go very bad. Well, it had already gone very bad very quickly, but even worse, because I, I just don't see how we've suddenly clicked like that. I don't believe that the way we're playing right now and tra- uh, playing right now out on a Saturday is like how we've been trying to play all season. If this is how we've been trying to play all season, <laughs> we would have seen at least what we were trying to do. It's yeah. just suddenly just gone right. We're going to play through the thirds. We're going to press with, you know, with more coordination, with more intensity. We're going to move the ball along quicker. We're going to overlap with our fullbacks. Like none of this was happening before. I don't just really believe it's one day finally the message has got through. Something yeah. drastic must have had to happen. I do. I have seen that, um, and I don't know. I got two minds about it. In one way, I think it's certain people's narrative to discredit Duff because he's now starting to do well. Because if you look at some of where that's coming from, it seems to be consistent. Um, I'm not saying nothing was said and nothing was done. Maybe there was meetings, but no no one knows what happened in their meetings. The only thing I would say in regards to to it is what we did see, especially at Norwich, the Norwich game, 
is exactly what we were told we would see from a Michael Duff system working at its full potential. That is what was sold to us. You know, it's what's in the video I have on here with the Barnsley fan is exactly what he was describing. So that's where I struggle to see how the players have orchestrated the change because that's literally what we were told Michael Duff was going to bring us, you know, and that's what I struggle to get on board with that messaging. But maybe, maybe, maybe it's one of them where something happened and it's been taken a little bit further. I think that's probably what has happened is there was some former meeting. Um, maybe it was even about like, look, you need to stop talking shit in the, in the yeah. press conferences, you know, or you're saying the wrong things. You need to say the club down here is quite community based. The fans really care and you're not really helping the situation with some of the stuff you're saying. Maybe that's part of it. Like things like that. I wouldn't be surprised if we're addressed. Cause I think he's, he's definitely not been as bad in the late, latest few in what he's been saying. And the fist pumps have come out as well. So yeah, it is a lot easier, obviously, to uh, say the right thing when you've won three in the bounce. It's a lot easier to say the wrong thing when yeah. you have one in seven. Yeah, exactly, one, exactly. One thing I did want to point out as well, and it's, it's quite ironic now, actually. I, I think what was the one line everyone was kept saying? I'll give it ten games. It takes about ten games for like <laughs> the tenth game, and we actually see the first. It weren't far off a, a complete performance. I think people are sort of not. You know, obviously, everyone's happy about it. It, it, it is just like crazy how we've gone from in the space of four or five games cardiff which is probably the worst performance i've seen in the world you know it's a clear identity here even russell martin like it, it took us until he went on that stretch of games at the end for me before we left for us to yeah. like, see the identity in its full force that norwich game that isn't far off like the level that you need to be hitting okay, i'm gonna say go. it now to, to be at the you know upper tiers of the table like there's so many teams ahead of us don't get me wrong but it's obviously it's because the the um season's so early in its infancy but we've gone from very nearly like being dragged into a relegation battle for me you're on the same same amount of points as sheffield wednesday and co now you we're four points off of sixth or fifth even it's bizarre it really is bizarre no you're right and i i, I think where we are in the table is pretty much on par with where we were after 10 games last season. Yeah. So if you want to use the 10 game rule, you know, that's, we went on a good run after that last season. I think um, October, especially up to the, the Cardiff match last season, we had a really good run and we won quite a few games before we got into the playoffs, into the top six. And then we did a bunch of draws, I think, and then it fell off a cliff. But um, yeah, so I, I think, no, yeah, I think you I think you're spot on really. And um I'm quite excited to see how it can continue to build. I hope we can maintain it when we go to Plymouth tomorrow, but it would be a tricky game, even a draw I would be happy with, I think, on in that one. And you can't argue that it's a good a good spell of, of form if if we even take yeah. a point. So I you, you I think you take a point just because of Plymouth at home. I think people who are traveling up there tomorrow, they may be surprised at the team they see. Everyone, you know, it's a new team. You're thinking, oh, they just come up. We should do well. These are these can hurt you quickly. They can. And I know the game after we're at an international breakdown, and we Leicester will be yeah. a big one because if you can get a draw against Leicester, all of a sudden there's a big belief that there's enough in the squad to 
Yeah, Leicester will be a big one. Like I said, nine wins, one loss. So anything from that game. And you've done more than most of the league. I'd argue a draw at home against Leicester builds more confidence of 3-0 against Sheffield Wednesday. Is the point yeah, it probably does because of how they are performing. Um, I wouldn't I think, have wanted to play Leicester in place of Sheffield Wednesday. No. I would have been quite scared. But I, I do think the style of play that we saw implemented against Norwich, I think that sort of Michael Duff style of play, that's probably going to be one of the better chances Leicester have of losing this season. There, are, there aren't many yeah. ways of playing that sort of hurt Leicester because of the quality they have, but that uh, that's a sort of idea of what you need to do. They've kind of looked like a team who... They don't necessarily look spectacular all the time, but they just get a result after result after result in any way. Like you think the team they're up. I thought Sheffield Wednesday looked good when they were. No, that was Hampton. Sorry, yeah, the Cardiff it. Cardiff Leicester game. I thought. Yeah, they did. Cardiff looked like they could have got someone out of that game. It was they on telly, wasn't it? That, that game. Well, yeah, and then Leicester found a way to win it. From. You know, it seemed like maybe Cardiff could have got something there, and then Leicester go and win the game. I keep thinking they drew that game. Honestly, like they, they, they I know you know. They should have lost something. Cardiff did not deserve to lose that game. They um, no, but I think they've Leicester have been quite consistent with yeah. that. Um, I know they've won by some big scorelines too, but they don't. They're not like a team steamrolling every team they come against, but they're also very comfortable at the same time. It's like it's like they give you that false hope, and it's the hope that kills you, because they always find in a way to get over the line. You know. Yeah, I know well, it's a good team. So it's yeah. a good. It's a. I mean, they beat Southampton probably by the biggest scoreline, and and Blackburn recently. Both teams lost four one. Um, Their team otherwise, that, they do the basics right, and then the yeah. quality they have just does the rest. They're yeah. not. They're not doing anything like you know. Everyone raves about Brighton and the way they play in the Premier League currently. They're not doing anything silly like that, but just. I mean, the more too good, isn't it? the more this goes on, I'm sure they will start to really assert their dominance on teams. Though, if you look at their yeah. last two results: four-one against Blackburn and three-nil against Preston, and it looks like Preston didn't even touch them. To be honest, um, I haven't watched much of their recent stuff, but I'll probably be speaking to a fan before the match, and I've seen the comments in the group that I'm in across the league, and yeah, they've been labelled as one of the without a doubt above a cut above so of Ipswich actually yeah. some of the other the, the teams that have played Ipswich are so surprised at how well they are doing um, and they're maintaining it like they're actually taking a bit of a fight to Leicester which I'm surprised at 25 points Ipswich are on 27 Leicester are on and there's a bit of a gap forming then yeah. to third place all of a sudden press which is crazy yeah. and in, you know if you're looking at the league in detail then they're on 27 points we're on 12 you think that is a massive gulf but we're only four points off the playoffs all of a sudden. Yeah, Ipswich is a surprising one in that I don't think they recruited very well. So people were wondering, even though their squad last year in League One was above League One quality, have they brought in enough to, you know, step up the level? I think I had them sixth, and a few people were saying that's a bit high. I think they were they, they yeah. were expected to be in and around the playoffs. I'm not, I'm no, not sure I wanted to put them I wanted to put them in there and Lee wouldn't let me in hours. I'm not sure anyone really expected. <laughs> I should have put my foot down. Yeah. I'm not sure anyone expected them to do this though. And whether no. they, the thing is, I'm pretty sure they've got decent depth. There, there isn't like they're not one of those teams that've been dragged along by a couple star men. Are they? They're just, they're just a well. They were the team. most informed team in I think European football from Christmas to like the start of this season, yeah. and they have maintained that basically. What they've lost one one game this season, 
drawn one and won the rest. Yeah. Oh, that'll be a tough one. Crazy. Could potentially yeah, those be a two teams. But if uh, you go Ipswich away, East Anglia, it's a bit, bit of a track, that is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, we're going to have to end the video in a second, but just to highlight, like I just said, Swansea sit in 15th, 12 points now after the gain of 10 points in the last four games. Um, we are currently four points above the relegation zone that we were sitting in for those early days in the league and also four points off the playoffs. So just highlighting how fast the picture can change. You get a win at Plymouth tomorrow and some of them teams up there don't... Maybe they get a draw, maybe some of them lose. One or two points off a of playoffs. You would never have thought that two weeks ago. Um, and those, those those teams that we are currently four points off, it's quite a few of them. So you've got West Brom in fifth on 16, which also consists of Leeds in sixth with 16, Norwich in seventh with 16, Cardiff in eighth with 16, Hull in ninth with 16, and Southampton in 10th with 16 points. Their goal difference significantly worse than the rest I've just mentioned. Um, <laughs> I have to put that in there. Also, Cardiff, having lost their last game, one of the four before that, which has put them in that position because when we played, we were quite close in the league. And again, that just shows how confidence can build you a run and all of a sudden up the table. So long season still to go. I guess Michael Duff is showing signs that he can fit in down here you can bring a style that is enjoyable to watch you know I've, I've I found the Norwich game very enjoyable style personally people saying about the Swansea way being dead and all that I'm quite happy if I got to watch what I watched against Norwich for the rest of the season and obviously for us to continue to develop on that so as much as the last podcast was quite negative and rightly so for what we were seeing at the time I think it's good to have that feel-good feeling back and I'm hoping a lot of the fans who were sceptical can... I'm not saying you need to you know, go and think, right, that's it, the new Messiah's year, but back the manager and maybe it will help with this upturn in form and prolong it and see where the season can go. Yeah, exactly. And you saw the end of the Norwich game. He came over to the uh, East Stand and gave a fist bump. Go back a couple of games before you were still getting booze after beating yeah. Sheffield Wednesday 3 0. So, I think I said after the Cardiff game, once you've lost that little contingent of fans who go away and then sit in the East End, it's really hard to win them over. And fair play to the man, he's done it in the space of one podcast. So, uh, yeah, uh, unbelievable, really. But uh, I, I think, like you say, Norwich, he talked about Michael Duff at the start of the season, how he wants to find like an in between point between uh, or balance, probably a better way of putting it, between Russell Martin's football and not hoofball, but, you know, a bit of directness, a bit, a bit of an eagerness to get up the pitch quicker. Norwich pretty yeah. much wants that to a T for me. If we can just replicate that performance across the season, I think we're going to be in good stead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, so, yeah, tough in for now, I guess, is, uh, is a good way to end. And long may it continue, and I'm sure if it does, probably, won't, you know, you'll probably leave anyway, because that's what always happens. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'm going to have to end it there because I'm a busy man at the moment. So, um, But thanks for joining me, Ben. It's been a good chat to have a little bit less structure than what we normally do in the podcast. Um, as I said, being quite busy, so I didn't have a chance to properly plan it to the way we normally do it. But there was enough to talk about anyway, and I'm sure we missed loads. But we'll try and get back to a good schedule going forward, especially when Lee gets back from Italy. Uh, between the three of us, get some... Um, 
more consistent podcasts going forward. So we'll try and get one out next week as well, but we'll see where it goes. Uh, but yeah, thanks for joining, Ben. Leave us in the comments all of your thoughts about what we discussed today. How are you feeling about the Swans right now? Are you feeling a lot better than you were last time you commented on the podcast? Or is the jury still out for you um, for whatever reason? Just tell us in the comments what you're thinking. Don't forget, as always, leave a like, a thumbs up button. It'd be lovely if we can get up to like 10, say 10 for this one, 10 likes, and subscribe as well if you're not already to keep up to date with everything. You'll get all the podcasts, all the match previews, and any highlights that we snippet out from any of them as well. And on that note, we shall catch you in the next video and hopefully be talking about some more wins. But yeah, thank you very much. See you next time. The match has just finished and you're on your way home. What better way to celebrate that 90th minute winner than a McNugget share box and a few tips with your mates? You channel your inner Ronald as you race to beat the muck delivery home, just making it an injury time. Ordering muck delivery is easy on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.